Ethel's Travel Tales, accounts from an addicted travel photographer. Ancient Sites, Greece and Turkey. April 1994, Unveiling the Classics via Swan Hellenic Cruises. Although I'm not a great cruise fan, as I find the necessity to move on to the next location a bit too abrupt for the explorer in me, I was fortunate enough to be occasionally employed by one of the most highbrow companies. Swan Hellenic was legendary for being classically site-based with lecturers well-known in their fields. My job was to photograph the locations for their brochures. The Hellenic in their name was a bit of a giveaway, and it was almost obligatory for any Swan fan to go on at least one of their voyages to Greece and its accompanying ancient world. Here is my account. The trip began with a flight to Athens where we had a day or two to get our bearings and see a bit of the sights. The journal begins on day three, ITEA, 8th of April, 1994. It's the second day of the cruise. I'm sitting at ITEA Harbor. There are mountains on both sides. Some are snow covered and the sun is hitting the starboard side. I can't believe after all these years hearing and studying about ancient Greece, I'll finally get to see some of these places. The weather's a bit dodgy the air was filled with heavy cloud, then rain, then storms. But before all that happened in Athens, I did some views of the Parthenon. The light was in the wrong direction. There was scaffolding and the sun wasn't brilliant. The shoot required real cleverness. For example, using a flagpole with the Greek flag flapping in the breeze to hide the construction. We set sail through bad weather, but at least it was dramatic. Due to the dark skies, I couldn't really take good pictures of the next destination, the Corinth Canal, but I still enjoyed it. I stood on the front deck, chatting away with the other keen passengers, including our mandatory religious figure. The Swan Cruises at the time always had someone from the clergy on board to conduct Sunday services, but usually she or he was an expert on some aspect of history. Commenting on the unexpected poor weather, I mentioned irreverently that I believed in the local photo gods who allowed fine or poor shooting conditions. Oh yes, replied our amenable canon. You mean the Kodakades, referring to the Dodecanese islands we were about to sail through. Regarding the cruise itself, it's small, about 200 people on a boat with a maximum capacity of 250. We saw the other monster cruise ships and we realized our privilege. As we're so small, we can sail into harbors that the big ships can't navigate. People are very sociable and there's a small contingent of younger people 
usually Swan-related in some way. I've become friends with Suzanne, a German Oxford PhD student in Greek archaeology, naturally, who's on a Swan scholarship. I've also got to know some of the lecturers who are less old, i.e. in their 40s instead of in their 60s or older, like many of the guests. Day 4, Olympia, 9th of April. After a terrific storm and a bad forecast, today looks good. We're off to Olympia, which will be a photographic challenge. Nevertheless, it's exciting, the original spot of the Olympic Games. I was told about the wrestling event with the combatants in the nude, and I recalled that once a week at my university, we had an event entitled Culture Break. Here, some keen students portrayed an aspect of ancient history, and these two, I should mention hunky, young 19-year-olds decided to recreate that event. I seem to recall in the original version in ancient days, females weren't allowed to watch, but in my student time, they couldn't keep us women away. Meanwhile, back in Greece, so far the lectures are excellent. The canon is a classicist with a special interest in the Byzantine era. In the poor weather at the charming but overcrowded monastery of Osius Lucas, he gave us the Sermon on the Mount. The botanist looks very young, really about 48, and is very enthusiastic and knowledgeable. He's the assistant curator of orchids at Kew Gardens and the one who told us that the botanical definition of a Mediterranean climate is where olives can grow. Day 5, Nopleon, 10th of April. We're now sailing into Nopleon. There's a great crusader? No, Venetian castle in the distant hills. I'd love to take off on my own with time to climb the hill, sit, and then have a coffee by the quay. But tomorrow, as I wake, we'll be in Mykonos. So by necessity, this visit is too short. We were supposed to go to the museum island of Delos instead, but it's turned out on the day of our proposed visit. Imagine an island closed. Hence our visiting such an alternative tourist island. Back in Olympia, it was a large thriving complex that seemed to come to life for me. I could hear the roar of the games. I could feel the splash of water from Hadrian's fountains. I enjoyed the sight, even though it did rain. Perhaps that's why I could feel Hadrian's water. Yesterday afternoon, as we sailed, it was gorgeous. The sea was fairly rough, though. A lot of people did get seasick. But we young feelers sat in the sun and watched the Peloponnesus sail by. That massive castle on the hill is just catching the light. Oh, to have my own time. I'm free. I escaped from the ship at Nopleon to have lunch before the excursion to Mycenae. The sun is out. The air is cool, the sea is a gorgeous, almost turquoise blue, and I'm tired of being polite. Ooh, lunch. Garlic tzatziki, good taramasalata, spanakopita, spinach pie. It's almost as if I was on holiday. Nopleon is a nice town, and once at the top, the Venetian castle gives a good view of both the town and the sparkling Mediterranean on the other side. The weather is just holding up. I hope it stays for the next excursion this afternoon. Then my Sinai. It was beautiful there, mostly because of its location and incredible clarity of the air. 
The ancient stones stood on the crest of the hill, dotted with flowers. The trees dropped down to a valley of olive trees. The hills rose behind them. And finally, a snow-covered mountain, Mount Parnassus, was visible in the distance. The situation was atmospheric, defensive, dramatic. The beehive tombs were extremely impressive, reminding many of us of ancient Egypt. Day 7, Heraclean Crete, 12th of April. I missed the notes yesterday while we went to Mykonos. Not a place I'd particularly like to stay, but it was great for pictures of Greek kitsch. The bright turquoise, orange, and red of the houses against the whitewash screamed, shoot me, to every photographer, and especially to me. The windmills were surprisingly accessible. Strange, not much of significance happened here, and I didn't like the place that much, but I did take the most pictures, probably the best for the photo libraries too. Due to wind, we then landed at the only possible port, the protected harbor of Syros. The place was fairly nondescript, famous for its Lakumi, Turkish delight. It was hard to believe this was a Cycladic island, but at least it was a real place with few tourists. The weather became hazy, so Suzanne and I stopped for a coffee in the main square, what I enjoy most, especially after the photo blitz in Mykonos. Right now, we're on our way to Crete, sailing into Heraclean Harbor. I can just make out the Venetian walls and loads of other ships. Cruises? Ferries? We're off to Knossos today. I've been to this ancient Minoan site before, known for its labyrinth and beautiful wall frescoes, but found its restoration a bit tacky. Today, I hope it's not too packed. It did eventually become so, but Swan, with its excellent timing, got us there before too many others. Being with the cream of British society, inevitably gardening would come up at some point. One of our lecturers, the assistant orchid man at Kew, did a recce the day before while we were in Crete to search out the most exotic plants, particularly orchids, as that was his specialty. He gave us information on the flora of the region and then took us on location. I remember when I was running a bit behind to take snaps, attempting to catch up through the brush and seeing a pile of crutches and canes. Those elderly and slightly disabled clients, normally requiring implements to help them to walk, had been so enthused by our lecturer finding a rare orchid that they were able to throw away their aids. Such was the power of botanical discovery. Day 8, Rhodes, 13th of April. We've been to wonderful Rhodes. All of us like it. Several, including me, would like to return for a short holiday. It's a dream city in that the medieval walls are intact, either well-maintained or sensitively reconstructed, and one wanders through narrow, arcaded streets with no idea of where one is heading. There are magnificent fortifications, mostly from the Knights of St. John, the Venetians, and the Crusaders. The marina is colorful and full of posh international boats. There's also a Venetian fort with the legendary Doe Column opposite the harbor mouth from its partner, the Stag Column, the stock images of Rhodes. Inside the walls, when the town wakes up and most tourists arrive, the shops spill out and narrow the streets even further. More color, more life, 
more activity. The people are friendly and quite happy to accept the tourists. Later, I'm in the center of the lounge and lecture room and our erstwhile lecturer has appeared in his suit. All the male lecturers, no matter how casual the trip is in reality, must wear ties to present their lectures. Occupational hazard, I guess. Day nine, Anamur, Turkey, 14th of April. We're sailing into Turkey. At the moment, we're just off the coast and Anamur is coming into view. I'd be out on deck if it didn't mean having to talk to people. There's a 7.45 a.m. lecture in a few minutes. I'm now coming to a land where I've never been before. And with all my traveling, there's a decreasing number of those. The weather is delicious, warm, hazy with a slight breeze. It's a post-winter cool and a pre-summer hot. I feel frustrated by not being able to stay longer, especially in roads. But each day I do wake up in a new country without having to do anything but sleep. Announcement, lecture on the Apollo deck, <clears throat> must go. Day 10, Antalya, 15th of April. The sea was stunning yesterday. A dark turquoise changing into a royal blue. Absolutely calm, lakeish. We landed midday at Anamore. So far out, it seemed we were stranded. We had to use the ship's lifeboats to disembark, skimming through a perfect sea. Mamurie Castle was terrific. Not of Crusader origin, but only if one is being pedantically accurate. A rambling, rolling place with preserved walls and castellated turrets, with a mosque somewhere inside the labyrinth. The minaret was from Roman brick, on the site of a once Byzantine church, on top of who knows what else. The best part was the view down to the clear sea at the base of the castle. It's probably more realistic, but less nice on a stormy day. Anamore, the Roman Byzantine site, was also fun, with a stony beach, marvelous clear water, and lots of friendly, wanting to practice English-speaking school children. Day 11, Antalya, 16th of April. The first completely cloudy day. If I could, I'd spend it in Antalya town, watching people, drinking Turkish coffee, while I could write notes but I'm supposed to be shooting Aspendos, the almost perfectly preserved Roman theater. Yesterday, Perge was incredible. A child's fantasy Hellenistic Roman ruin, preserved streets, and daily life so visible it almost seemed as if the population had left just a few weeks before. The remains appeared to lay themselves out aesthetically for photos. I'd love to take a photography group here it would be so easy to explain principles. Sea day in the afternoon was completely different. A major tourist development virtually splits the site. Fancy hotels, shops, preserved Roman walls, drink stalls, telephone wires, a mishmash. The theater was superb though, with a view of the columned agora, a more distant set of ruins and the sea. Hotels and houses in the other direction. As a professional for travel photographer, I was delighted to see the plethora of German tourists for whom the place seemed to be designed, as so many of my images sell in Germany. 
Later today, we arrived at the Roman theater of Aspendos. The sky was overcast, not ideal shooting weather, especially for a location one thinks of as being sunny all the time. Normally, I'd be out dashing out of the bus first, trying to get pictures of the place before the rabble arrived. However, today, as the cloud would prevent me from getting great shots anyway, I took my time letting the group disembark first. By the time I entered the theater from the stage side rather than the audience, I found myself on my own. I saw almost all the cruise passengers sitting in their seats who were looking back at me. As they all knew who I was, they waved and bid me hello. Suddenly, I flashed on the idea of it being after my death in a heavenly Greco-Roman location with everyone I knew in my past sitting in front of me. There were my parents, smiling, my old teachers, my first boyfriend, everyone who had played a part in my life. A not unfriendly chill ran through me before I shook my head in disbelief and modern Turkey came back to life. Still, the experience made me wonder about my preconceptions of the afterlife, particularly as I'm not a religious person. In the evening, our group and I went down to Antalya for a Turkish meal on shore. We sat near the cutesified old harbor and told funny stories. The air was cool, the food was okay. Although the pictures I'm taking are professionally important, it's moments like last night that I remember most fondly. I must admit, I'm getting tired, perhaps I always am at this hour, but still excited enough to continue. I'm really looking forward to seeing Ephesus, the ancient Greek city with its famous Library of Celsus. Day 12, Kushidasi, 17th of April. The original notes seem to end here, but the story continues. Briefly after Ephesus, where I saw the prototype cathedral and baptismal font and the remains of its library wall, we spent another day at Kushidasi. The next full day was an excursion to the hillside site of Priini, underneath a huge once-occupied natural acropolis, and Didyma, a wonderful temple to Apollo, and Miletus, a massive city now in ruins and romantically flooded. We sailed back to Greece and close cruised Mount Athos, the weird peninsula full of monasteries and so male-centric that not even female cats are allowed there. Lots of different monasteries and hermetic outbuildings. Here we were tailed and even guided by leaping dolphins. I managed to get a few shots of them. While peering at the distant monasteries perched precariously at the top of the rocky peninsula, I commented, look, there's the Hotel Bellevue. The group duly turned their heads up and saw one of the secret religious venues, apparently with writing on the side. When one of the passengers brought out a pair of binoculars, it turned out that what we saw were the wet monk's robes placed out individually to dry. In the distance, it did indeed appear to be the word Bellevue. We arrived at Thessalonica at night. Day 13. Thessalonica, Greece, 18th of April. The next and last day I went on the trip to Dion. It was a beautiful site with a magnificent but flooded temple of Isis. It also had one of the best Roman mosaic floors I had ever seen, undercover and in situ, so I couldn't really photograph it. 
The highlight, though, was seeing the snow-covered Mount Olympus peaks so clearly. And that was the end of our visit to the ancient world. We had our charter flight at the airport waiting to take us back to London. We said our farewells, shook hands, or even kissed and spoke of our returning, possibly even with each other again. In all, despite my initial wariness of being stuck on a cruise, I couldn't imagine a better way of seeing all these different sites so far apart so easily. And even the company was pleasant. Thank you.